The episode you are about to hear was recorded pre-pandemic. I hope it provides distraction, entertainment, and some inspiration as we all adjust to our new normal. Stay safe and stay healthy. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All and Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Today, I am so excited to welcome Aaron and Sarah Foster to the podcast. Whoop, whoop. So we sometimes hear about triple threats, and I think that these two women are about as multi-hyphenate as it gets. And when I was consulting my producer, let's call her Wikipedia, their professional (laughs) bios include show creating, acting, modeling, writing, and designing, as well as currently being the heads of creative for female-driven social networking juggernaut Bumble. Mm. Most recently, they even signed an exclusive three-year pod deal with 20th Century Fox TV to develop content both in front and behind the camera, which sounds very major if I had any idea what a three-year content <laughs> pod deal is. Well, Sarah was like, we, we realized what it sounds a like a three-year pod deal. It sounds like a podcast deal, which has nothing to do with podcasts. Well, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is really going to hurt my chances of getting them on my no. podcast. We were like competing with your pod, your pod deal. No, literally. I was like, I've got a, like a one-year pod mm-hmm, deal mm-hmm. and these girls have a three-year pod deal. And Ours how's... is triple the pod deal. What, but, but for real, what's the pod okay, deal? Okay, a pod deal, basically, I don't even know why they call it a pod. It's just basically a production company. Why don't they so, call it a prod deal? I know. I agree with you. Was that just actually like a, a, prod a typo? Deal. Pod. It's supposed be. to be producer. I, yeah, I don't know why they call it that, but basically it's a three-year development deal as producers with 20th Century Fox, which is now Disney. Mm-hmm. And so basically we bring them ideas for TV shows for um, us to create, whether it means we're going to be starring in the show, writing the show, producing the show, all three, or just producing the show. So they're Or be, just writing. Or just writing. Yeah. Yeah. Or just acting. I don't think so. No, acting is... Well, I don't think at this point unless it was something really cool that we would want to act in something that we weren't sort of a part of developing, not like we're right, like so major. I mean, please. I'll you're like, like, you're like offer only. No, no, it's not even that. It's just like, I tried to be an actress for so long. Aaron tried to be an actress for so long. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Speak about yourself. Okay. Sorry. Um, I was in, you know, uh, Emmy worthy, gave Emmy worthy right. performances in 90210. No, just, just, We've had a lot of acting fun is creating not, stuff yes, for us to be not, in instead of just like auditioning for other people's stuff. Yeah. It's more fun. And a hundred percent, you guys are also such an asset to them because you're going to be, I imagine, bringing a lot of female driven content, right? From yeah. the perspective yes. of where you guys are sitting rather mm-hmm. than, you know, the typical guys that are. Yeah, and it's, it's really cool because a lot of the writers they're setting us up with are like-minded women. They're women that we, we sit down with them and they, you know, their narrative is we wanted to meet you because we loved your show. We love your guys' sense of humor, the self-deprecate, you know, so it's really cool sitting down with these other women who have the same sense of humor as us. And then they want to create with us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. What's the transition been like to, cause this is an official role and like how, how time intensive is that? Is that Sarah like a full time very seriously? Thing? And Sarah's like really into working and working really hard and like talking about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of more like chill about it all. And so um, I 
I had, we, we made a pilot together, Sarah and I at Fox the year before. And so Sarah got to know all the players over there. And I had had a pilot there before, um, myself without Sarah. And I had gotten to know them then. And I really liked them. And I think there's like, there's a sense of security when it comes to having a deal at a studio, because they're saying, we have your back. We believe in you. We like your ideas. We want to support your ideas. And, and so even though, which I think brings us on to the right topic, even though it's such an amazing resource, sometimes when someone hands you a great resource, you kind of panic like, oh shit, now I really have to deliver. Yeah. Now I really have to show up. Now I really have to prove myself. And even though they're there as a support system, we have to drive the train. We have to create the content. We have to come up with the ideas. And so we are doing that. But I think like, you know, I get intimidated for sure. And, it, and sometimes that makes me get a little stuck. Right. I understand. I mean, this is, it's really more about having, not just about having the office. And I imagine like a really cool parking space that has no, no. reserved. We, don't, for, we well, don't have parking Well, there's spaces. one parking space for the two of us. So that gets complicated. Okay. So, I mean, this is like a, you know, minimal pod deal. Yeah. But, we're low level pod. But you guys, you know, to Aaron's point, I think like there is an expectation. It's like, you know, it, it's one thing about having all of these ideas. And obviously you had proven yourself because you did a show there or a pilot there mm -hmm. the year before, and yeah. they are aware of what you can do. But I think that there is that panic mode that sometimes people get into when it's like you get that imposter syndrome of, do they really know who they mm -hmm. hired? Am I the right I person? I think that all oh, the time. I deliver. All, all the time. I we, Aaron all the time is like, I don't think I'm a good writer. I, do I know how to write? And I'm always going, you are a really good writer. But it is a scary feeling that you think you sort of are tricking people. Right. Yeah. I pull into the law and I'm like, what am I doing here? How am I here? What's going on? Do they know that we don't have a clue? Right. But I think the thing is, and I appreciate you really like honing this in on the kind of topic matter Thank for you. this podcast. I'll definitely have you back. But, <laughs> you know, the idea is that when you're growing up, you are sort of given a roadmap of like what you think life is going to look like. And you have an idea of what kind of having it all would look like to you. And as you get older and you get further along in your life, you realize that very little is going to turn out the way that you thought it would. And it could turn out way better. It could turn out worse or just different, but it's kind of the challenge and the responsibility for you to design the life that you want to have and well, what that looks true. like to you. So it's like, all of a sudden you guys have to remember that driving onto that lot is exactly where you got yourselves, but it's so easy to fall into that zone of doubting yourself. You know, when time. you say that, like, when I was growing up, I used to always think about this amazing life that I really wanted to have one day. And I thought about a love that I wanted. I thought about a career that I wanted. And I thought about a spotlight that I would be in. And I thought about the friends I would have and this life I would live. And it always seemed like in the future, like, like I'll have those things one day, but I don't need to work hard for them today. Like I'm too, I'm too young. I'm a teenager. I'm a kid. And then in my twenties, I still felt this sense of like, one day someone's going to grab me and be like, here's your future that you've always wanted. Someone's going to grab me and be like, I think you're special and I'm going to hand everything to you and I'm going to make it accessible. And that didn't ever happen. And then I realized too late, in my opinion, because I think that women in their 20s who are listening should do it earlier, is that that's probably not going to happen. No one's going to give you the future you've There's always no looked at. There's no person that wakes up in the morning and that goes, how can I make Sarah's life better? Mm -hmm. no, not Nobody. I am the only person, not maybe my your husband, maybe your nanny. not my nanny, not my agent, not my father, not my mother, not my best friend who wakes up going, how can I make Sarah's life better or today? Or make Sarah's dreams come true. Not, nobody. So right. I just Is think Sarah that like- Is Sarah doing that for Sarah? Sarah started doing it for Sarah, but Sarah started doing it for Sarah late. Mm -hmm. Sarah was not doing that for Sarah in her 20s. Yeah. So no. I think you, I, this, this idea that you're waiting for someone to like make it happen, you have to be more- um, Proactive. Proactive at a younger age because- 
you just don't have that like drive, but you, you really do need to put it into motion. Early. But I think it's okay to not know, you don't have to know at 21 exactly what you want to do and be in the exact career that you want to be, but you need to be eager. You need to be at least eager to have it. Even and and I always know. say this, I, you, you should say yes to anything that isn't like unhealthy or, you know, illegal because even if you go, oh, that's not exactly the job that I want, but I have an opportunity, but I don't really want to be stuck in this job for a year because I want to like be this big thing at some point. You should say yes to a lot of things because the truth is, is that if you do anything very well, someone will notice it. And then when they go, you know, I'm starting this company and I need a partner, like you're so good at your job. I think you'd be the right person. Go out in the world and say yes to things and just do it very well. And then other opportunities do reveal themselves. Yeah. Right. Operating from a place of yes early on is important. Also, yeah. I think uh, you can often have like a really romanticized notion of what anything can entail, whether that's, you know, a certain career, a certain kind of relationship, um, you know, any kind of life. And until you have practical experience trying that out and determining that that is or isn't the thing for you, it's really hard to understand what it is that you necessarily even want to do, mm -hmm. you know? It takes time. It takes time. And it takes, it, it takes the experience, I think, of trying things many times and trying different things until you figure out what it is you want. Mm -hmm. you and know? ultimately we, we didn't wake up one day completely changing paths, but we did a huge pivot oh, and we're that's still, humble. it's what? That's humble. Is it? Yeah. Well, I thought you were saying sort of like forging paths for other no, women. No, but you know, we, we, I mean for, okay, for myself, I was an actress in mm -hmm. my twenties, just an actress going on hundreds of auditions, usually not getting you know, any job whatsoever. I couldn't have imagined if you had told my 25 year old self that this is where I would be right now, that the agent that literally called me and said, this is a really hard phone call to make, but we're, we need to drop you because just we're looking at all of our clients and you're not generating the amount of work, blah, blah, blah. I would never think that that same agent would be calling me 10 years later, begging to be seen for a pilot that I'm involved with. Like, it's just so, right. it's just surreal to me. If you had told my 25 year old self who was low self-esteem, insecure, felt underachieving that I would be in that position, I would have never believed you. Well, don't you think that that's also because you did wake up and say, I have to do these things for Sarah, even though, totally. you know, it's like, ultimately that, that brings me to my next point. Well, and I also that, lost my, I dropped my ego. Right. Okay. I dropped my, I, I, I had, I mean, I think we can all agree that our ego is one of the most like detrimental things for our happiness, 100%. for our, um, so success for, for, for everything, for sustaining any kind of happiness or productivity. So I had to listen, I did a lot of work on myself. <laughs> well, I think, okay, for you guys in terms of career trajectory, yeah. I think that, you know, to your point, you were acting, Yeah. but like, it would have been very easy to pigeonhole either of you. And I know Aaron, you were not acting at the time, but you know, you guys are these beautiful blonde girls. You grew up locally. There's obviously like a lot of affluence and a lot of access to things, but really what seems to have cut through for you in terms of your career was really pulling the curtain back on the whole thing and yeah. like poking fun at it and really realizing that you're kind of outside insiders where you felt like, I, I think with your show, um, Barely, Famous. Barely Famous, that it was just kind of like you were growing up 
in this world, but still felt like kind of fringe. We're not in denial about the fact that we have had resources that a girl who moves here from Nebraska does not have. She doesn't know how to open a door. She doesn't know how to get into an office or a meeting. She hasn't had the same exposure. And that is an asset, but it doesn't give you a career by any means. No one's willing to pay you for jobs for that. So I think that like, to your point, what we did and what I think that where like the life lesson is in it is this idea that what you resist persists is very, very real. And when we were growing up, we were so defensive about being like considered spoiled brats or girls who didn't work hard. That was my biggest fear is that's what somebody would think that I was. So I took myself very seriously and I was really defensive about that. And we we really like leaned away from it. I like dyed my hair dark brown and I pierced my eyebrow. And I would like, I, when I was trying to act in my early twenties, I only did these like gritty dramas because I th- wanted to be taken seriously. You literally never dark. did a comedy. You only did never drama. Did a comedy. Like as funny as Erin is, can you imagine? Maybe you did like one movie that no, was, I was a comedy. All, I was a you drug addict and edge. a prostitute and everything. Very edgy. But the truth is, is like, I wasn't being myself because I was trying to resist this perception of Mm -hmm. me as this like LA born and raised spoiled girl. And I didn't want anyone to see me that way. And the irony, and I think everyone has this kind of in their own life is that the show that we ended up making barely famous that broke us into the comedy scene and broke out my career as a writer was about two blonde entitled spoiled girls. And so instead of leaning away from it, we actually looked at that perception and then we owned it. These and were the we girls made, we actually could have become. Yeah, we made a we made a comedy out of who people thought or assumed that we actually were. And instead of letting them control the narrative, we controlled the narrative. And I think that that's an important lesson for people to hear and think about because there are there are per- there are parts of everyone's lives that you're very defensive about. You want you don't want everyone to know that you were divorced. You don't want everyone to know you had a nose job. You don't want everyone to know that you got fired from your last job. You don't want to know that your husband left you. You don't want to know that your kid, you know, is in therapy because they're they're not acting the way that your other friends' kids are. The truth is is that when you live like that, those things control your life. And when you when you let it go and you completely just accept your life, you accept who you accept who you are, accept the decisions you made or the things that have happened to you, it actually gives you a ton of power because those things are only able to be used against you if you are not willing to own them. If you own them, no one can use them against you. I think it's our defense system though, right? It's like that you always have to have this armor up and it's a little bit of like, I think that everybody wants this external appearance of perfection at all times, because, you know, if people knew what was behind or if people see what a mess everything really is that, you know, it almost confirms what you feel on the inside. And I think what you're saying, it's like having ownership of that also lends itself to like creating a community with people you didn't necessarily know were going to be your allies because they're like, Hey, I'm going through that too. Or, you know, it connects you to, but guess what you guys, I don't want to be friends with someone who's perfect. Right. I don't want to work with someone who is perfect. I want to surround myself with a woman that is honest about her, you know, problems. Yeah. And her, which is why I like Aaron so much. Well, I think that that's a good reminder that, you know, even, even what appears perfect, you know, can be cracking on the inside. The other day I had this meeting with, um, this guy and he was like, Oh, where'd you go to college? And I go, oh, I actually didn't go to college. He's like, oh, you didn't? Why didn't you go? And I was like, I was like a really miserable teenager and I just like hated school and I failed out of 10th grade and I was just like really unhappy. And the second that I could like be an adult and be alone and like off in the world, I like took the opportunity. He, he was, was like, like, whoa, he goes, that's so honest. Oh, I, that's so weird. Cause I think of you as like 
the most positive, happiest person I've ever like witnessed on, on a Instagram or whatever. Like he's like, this is just how I think of you. You exude this like happy, positive thing. I would never think that you would have like anything tortured about you. And I thought, this is crazy. I'm the most tortured. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the most negative person, but like I struggle with being negative. I struggle with finding fault in any situation and being critical of every situation. The idea that this person, like we're talking about, sat somewhere on a computer or on a phone and glanced at my life and just thought, oh, she's just the happiest, most positive person alive. Like I'm not at all. Definitely not. That's the projection that we all have. So it's like right now we're living in this super comparative culture. And I think it's like, you know, again, you guys have a great sense of humor about everything, but still like, you know, for someone who's just scrolling through, you're really seeing just like a snapshot of somebody's life that they're wanting to share with you. And it's the highlight reel. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, how do you guys find that you balance? Because first of all, that's such a like important part of your business right now, right? Is using Mm -hmm. social media. So how do you feel like you balance presenting yourself in an authentic way where you're like, Hey, that is who I am. Like, this is not a bullshit, like kind of. I think our following sort of grew from being self-deprecating and showing actually our flaws. Also our relationship as sisters resonates with a lot of people because we do not show our relationship as this like cutesy, perfect, supportive relationship. We show it like Sarah and I are fighting right now about this thing because I think it was my idea and she thinks it was her idea. We try to show an honest portrayal, but listen, this is important for people to know about anybody. Even Sarah and I, who are really, I think, pretty good about being very authentic online, other than this guy who thinks I'm the happiest person alive. Right. Um, Sounds like he's getting some mixed messages. Yes, I think he is. Who um, is this meeting with? I'm going to send. Uh, I'll, it, no, I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's uh, it's that you just messed up my train of thought. I was going. I know s- what you're about to say. I was going to say I that. I feel where you're going with this. That okay. as authentic as we are. The actual. No, I was going to say as authentic as we are, and we are. It's not like when Simon and I are fighting till three in the morning You're about wedding that. planning, right. I'm pulling out my phone and showing people I'm not. Okay. Taking it back to Barely Famous. So you guys really kind of got into the driver's seat in a way of your own careers because like you said, and I really liked, what was the saying again? What you reject persists? Oh, what you resist persists. What you resist persists. Mm-hmm. What was the impetus for creating that show? And what did you find was the kind of shift for you guys in your career? Because I know you're saying now you're sort of on the receiving end of a call from a person who, when you were waiting for the phone to ring Mm -hmm. as an actress, Mm -hmm. was sort of telling you like, you're not generating enough. And you guys became self-generators. Self-generators. When was the shift for that? Well, I think I was at a point where I was just over it. I'd been on like a a reoccurring character on a show for five years, four seasons. It wasn't, it was whatever. I just had a baby. I wasn't living my truth. I wasn't that happy. Erin was writing on The New Normal, a Ryan Murphy show. She was like, actually had really found her groove. Um, you want to take it from here? Because I can feel you. I No, I was just going to oh. take it from yeah, where, I, where my position was. Yeah. I, I was getting really into like satirical comedy. I was like going out in the world and doing like little bits with people and going to Runyon Canyon and filming like these sort of sarcastic little interviews with them. And I was doing these like, Actually, Justin Coit and I were going out in the world, a friend of ours, Catherine Powers' husband. I remember this period. Uh-huh. And so I was like doing man little, on the street. Yes. Very mm-hmm. man on the street, some stand-up stuff. Also like, sh- you know, Justin and I shot this video where we put me in like a scene in Drive, the right, movie, the Ryan, Ryan Gosling, Gosling movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's so fun to play like the crazy ex-girlfriend. And like, I started leaning into these things in my life that I had been scared to lean into. And it was really empowering and it felt really fun. And I loved writing and I, and I'd written a script about 
sort of an embarrassing experience and I had exposed that experience and that felt really good. And so I realized that I really liked writing about things that I would normally be embarrassed to talk about or be ashamed of. So I was in that space of wanting to confront things that way. And then my managers at Three Arts, which is a comedy company, they were like, you know, it's so funny because all of our clients are always trying to get reality shows and you are just trying to avoid being on a reality show because like family members of ours had been on reality TV before and they were always saying like, you know, E and Bravo were always coming around being like, well, let's get the Foster Sisters reality show. And we said, you know, no, we don't want to do that. So we thought of this idea of like, what if we did a satirical comedy that was about two girls who are trying to avoid being on a reality show and they say they'll never be on one and they're filming a reality show about that. So it's this like meta inside thing. I really liked making fun of like LA and hypocrisy and all these like celebrity shit. And it made so much sense for Sarah and I to do that together because we already had this like funny dynamic. And kind of going back though to the idea of there's no there there, obviously that was a huge life change for you guys, right? And you oh, yeah. took a chance on yourselves. But at the same time, it's like life goes on. So you had two two seasons of that mm-hmm. show, right? Yeah. yeah. But then that opened so many more doors for you. Oh, yeah, in we terms wouldn't of what have doing. any platform without that show. Mm-hmm. That show, we wouldn't have Instagram. I mean, maybe we'd have some Instagram followers, but that show gave us the platform that we have today. Yeah. Right. So what was it like in terms of social media timing, what was Instagram at this point? Like, because you guys were starting, I mean, it was, I think we had private Instagrams. I was private. Yeah. I mean, Instagram definitely wasn't a thing. And also until stories came about, which was what, two years ago, like you couldn't story tell the way that we were never like on Vine. Maybe season two. I was on Snapchat a little bit being, I was doing comedic stuff on Snapchat a little bit, but like Social media definitely wasn't the business it is today. And Sarah and I have turned Instagram into a business for us. And it has been a way for us to um, take things like Barely Famous and create very short versions of it for companies like La Mer or Anthropology, these companies that we we, um, do brand partnerships with and we create content, come up with the concepts and do funny content for them that's short form. And the turnover is really fast and it's really fun. And that didn't exist back then. And now it's a big part of our career. Yeah. Right. And that's the, you know, the way that everything is changing too, in terms of traditional advertising and people doing integrated marketing. And like, so you guys as storytellers are able to be a part of that in a really fun way that is authentic to your brand and that works for them as well. Yes. We, we're never going to sit there and go, hi, great to see you. Please buy these hair vitamins because <laughs> don't you hate it when your hair is that right. we're just never going to be those people. So we only work with brands that um, like who we are and our sensibility and let us stay ourselves and are happy to relinquish creative control. (laughs) Yeah. And let us make fun of some things and take a joke, make a joke out of it. And we just, we do try to stay authentic. Um, you know, we have to say no sometimes to things that are going to be really great money makers, but they don't make us feel good. And they don't feel, we don't, they don't, we don't feel good about what we would be representing. And so we try to stay in a lane and like, keep it clean. When, you know, we talked about earlier about the idea that like, you know, you could be crushing it in one area of your life and another area is just like totally suffering. Or, you know, the fact that you like, you can't keep all of your um, pots boiling at the same time. And like, I know for you as a mom, you guys have a really busy situation right now. So between like the work stuff and the travel. Look, I probably shouldn't say this. I, I don't, I don't believe you can really have it all. I just don't. I think something always suffers. I mean, in my life, things are suffering, you know, and it's, it's like, this is the the everyday question I think we have as moms and career women and wives and friends, how we can maintain 
healthy relationships. And I, I fail. I think I'm failing every single day. What is your advice for people or what would you say to other women who feel that way? Because there's a through line. Number one, if you're looking at you and it's like you have, you know, your kids in these like amazing costumes that were, that were just picked up by people. I think that it was like, <gasps> oh, you can stop it, it Sarah. Why? Well, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> number one, what? Um, number one, best costume stormy. in the world, in the world, in the world, but like, Amazon so, boxes. So it's like, you have that right. And you, you know, you're at a place where it's like, you have all these amazing things happening career wise, but there's commitments with that. And then you have a commitment at home and you have a relationship with your partner. You have yeah. a relationship with your family. You have friendships. You have a social life. You're trying to, and like- I feel very selfish right now. Cause the truth is my, my twenties were like, I didn't put myself first in my twenties. You know, I didn't, I mean, I have, who my, were you putting first? Well, I started dating Tommy when I was 24 and he was a professional tennis player. And I kind of like dropped everything to follow him around the world. I like didn't come home for auditions. I, I would push, you know, I failed to put myself on tape for certain shows or movies that they were interested in me for. I was like, Oh, whatever. I'm a girlfriend now. It's the same thing. You always think the future is in the future and someone totally. will figure that out. Exactly. I'm like, I'm 24. Who right, cares? Right. And then I'm like, I'm 27. I'm in Rome with my, you're like, I'm 48. My, yeah, I'm like, I'm 93. I feel like I'm going to get an agent. Right. So I really, and then I had my daughter at 29 and everything shifted. I became all about her. And then I started neglecting Tommy and so before I was just neglecting my work, um, and then I had my daughter at 29 and then I started neglecting Tommy mm-hmm. and my work. I was like, Oh, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. How am I supposed to be everything for this child breastfeed? I didn't have a baby nurse. Like, how do I do all this? And like still look hot for him, have sex with him, go places with him. Also try to get a TV show or a movie and audition. I mean, it's really complicated and I'm not, I don't want some metal. Like this is the, what we all do as a hundred percent as moms. So then in my thirties, um, I started sort of feeling like something is made like around 32. I was like, I am just not fulfilled. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm failing in my relationship. I don't know that I'm being the best mom. I'm not working like this feels shitty. And I don't want to say I got, I got depressed because depressed isn't the, it wasn't depressed, but you like lost sight of who you were. Yeah. And I didn't know who I was. I was like, what am I? Am I an actor? Am I even an actress? I don't even know if I'm an actress. I'm not getting jobs. So maybe I suck, you know, I don't know. And then with Barely Famous, it just, it, it changed my life. I mean, not only did it, did it make people go, oh God, she's a comedic actress. She's funny, but I became a show creator and a producer and I created this new relationship with my sister. And it it just truly you feel like changed you got your my life. Back a little bit. Like it, get her yeah. Groove. Oh, like you, totally. Like you, I, I do think that that happens sometimes. It's like you're going along in life and you start taking care of so many other people. And this can be if you have kids or not, you're just end up whether it's going by so fast. Oh my God. But whether you're that person for your family that kind of like is the glue that holds everything together. And then suddenly you're like, I don't do anything for myself totally, and I don't feel like who I used to be. I don't recognize who I am anymore. And then some things happen where you get that like sense of yourself back and it's really empowering. But the same thing happened for us when we had the Bumble opportunity and Whitney Wolf, the founder said, you know, I want to bring you guys on as heads of creative of Bumble Biz and Bumble BFF and help launch those brands. Like Sarah and I were like, uh, we've never worked at a tech company. We don't know what the fuck a creative director does ahead of creative. We're like Googling what, what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And the instinct was like, I don't know if we should say yes to this because we don't know how to do it. And instead I was like, 
fuck that. We should definitely say yes. And just, we'll just do it. Like, we'll just figure it out. I think operating from that place is so uh, much more productive going like, yes. And I'm going to figure it out later. I feel like figure it out. And then you just work really hard. And like, sometimes you fail and sometimes you don't do it perfectly. And sometimes you mess up, but you have to try. I agree. Say yes and figure it out later. Call your friends, read books, listen to podcasts, do a deep dive. You will figure it out. Say yes. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like today now from where you sit, like are you feeling more like yourself than you used to? More than ever. I feel I'm happier at 38. I'm more fulfilled. I'm more in my body. I'm more like I wake up every day happy. Mm -hmm. Every day. I want to give a special thanks to our partner, Monkey 47 Gin. The gin with an international cult following among bartenders and connoisseurs alike. It took one of the most in-demand brands in the world's top cocktail bars to finally give Rosé the day off it deserved at my house. Monkey 47 is known for its unique and eccentric recipe using, you guessed it, 47 botanicals, more than any other gin. My go-to drink recently has been a Negroni, and Monkey 47's notes of lavender, grapefruit, lemon, and mint bring me that much closer to my destiny of sipping them along the Italian coast rather than in my own backyard wearing my sweatpants. We are so excited to partner with Monkey 47 for a fresh take on our favorite cocktails. Please drink responsibly. And now back to having it all in other lives. Obviously you have a partner, you have two young kids. You're like on the precipice of getting married. Mm -hmm. And like, what advice do you have for her? And also do you find that like, you get to see so much rolled out in front of you because obviously you have two sisters who are married yep. and like you see that and like, so it's not, there's no unknown there in that way. You know what I mean? Like you have, you know what it's like to have a kid. You're part of each other's village, you yeah, know, in I the think, best way. I think Aaron's really excited to have a baby and just step away, which I respect. I think it's so great. I think where I'm like, in eighth You're gear like right now. In. I'm like in eighth gear right now going like, we're not doing enough. And we have 50 things on the burner. She's like, okay, when I have this baby, like leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write my novel. I'll give notes on things that we're producing. I'm going like, you know, we, I, 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 I think that I there's think the question was for me, but you can go on. No, she was saying what advice would I have? I would say like, be true to you and be, and be authentic to who you are. And if that's really what you want, I like that. But I think as women, I think it's so, it's so incredible to be these role models for our daughters. Cause I didn't grow up with a mom who was ambitious about a career, which there's nothing wrong with that. She was like at every soccer game, she was there for everything. And I respect it so much, Mm -hmm. but did you respect it growing up? No, 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 God, no. I was like, my mom doesn't work. She doesn't do anything as a, now as a grown woman, I'm like, what she did is the most selfless, incredible thing. Look, I think it's just a, you just have to find the balance. I think that like Sarah and I, uh, have our live paths have been a little bit opposite in terms of her meeting Tommy so young and me meeting Simon at 35 years old, which is 11 years past the age that Sarah met Tommy. So our lives have taken sort of opposite trajectories because I was able to focus on myself, on my writing, on my work for a long time and be selfish. And now that I have- You did so much work on yourself in your 20s. I started really early trying to um, figure myself out and what would make me happy. And I am still working on that. But now that I'm in a partnership and want to have kids and all that, like 
there's now it's like the new concept, this new concept to me that Simon is my priority and that my relationship is my priority and that my family will be my priority. And that's something that's been a little hard for me, but it's, it is important to have, like, in order to have that partnership, you have to know you'll put each other first. And that's the kind of relationship I'm in. And so like, I get it really Simon's excited. very supportive of your career. Yeah, he's totally... I mean, very. that's the thing is like, even though I say like, oh, I'm gonna have a baby and wanna like, you know, He won't go let away. you. He's like... <laughs> Simon is like, really likes me to have my own stuff because he knows how important it is for himself and he likes being with someone that inspires him and excites him and we both have stories to tell at the end of the day about yeah. our life. He's not looking for me to be a stay-at-home wife, but, you know, I have to also get comfortable with this idea that it's not uncool to want to be a good wife. It's not uncool to want to like commit to somebody and make them a priority. And that is something that's taken me an adjustment. Yeah. Um, Like Simon and I have been, we got into a huge fight the other day because he loves when I make him a lemon water in the, in the morning for him to take to work, like in a big, a big, um, that's his love language, water bottle. Yeah. Like, um, acts of service. And to him, like, even though he loves me being a independent, like working woman, he still he likes his lemon water he, a little bit more. Yeah. He like loves the idea of a good woman taking care of him. Yeah. And so we got into this like screaming fight because he kept being like, oh, well, I guess you didn't make my lemon water again for four days in a row. And I was like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Like, I'm busy and you want me, you think it means that I don't love you if I don't make your lemon water. Like I need to be this like archaic, perfect wife. And he was like, I didn't realize it represented all those things. I just like think it's cute when you want to take care of me. And, and like, we're both, working from these places of defensiveness and it's scary to be to it's like such a luxury meeting someone later in life but it's also but you guys are so much more formed it's like yeah it's scary. for Sarah and I like meeting partners early also it's like I haven't had singularity of focus or thought or like thinking of myself or working on myself for at least eight years mm-hmm. you know so it's like so I understand where she's at where you're kind of like coming back where you like the clouds are lifting a little and you can see yourself and you, a hundred percent, it's like, why not be in a good partnership where you're going to like want to do those things? It's mm-hmm. like, and what's the fine line guys? Like I also, I'm a mom. I have a responsibility you to my to two kids. So many I have to remind, no, yeah, but I have to true. remind myself all the time. Like so many things will come up and because I'm operating from the place of yes, like it's too much. Like I just got this this possible offer for something on my daughter's birthday. Like I contemplated it. Like Mm -hmm. there's also, you kind of also have to like reel it in too. Like you have to sort of stop and go like, yes, I'm on this, this, this straight shoot to where I want to go. Cause I'm so clear as to where I'm going and what I want and what, but you have to protect the relationships. You have to protect the relationships in your life. Your kids, your husband. If you take that for granted, or if like, if that goes down, cause you guys are the captains of that ship, then everything falls apart. But it's hard because like for you, you've also been working for such a long time to get to this place where it's like, you get scared that those things aren't going to keep going. You have to be careful that you don't overcorrect. Mm-hmm. So like by Sarah wanting to prove herself in the professional space, she has to also not overcorrect and be like, fuck my daughter's birthday. I'm just going to take this job for however much money. Instead, you have to go, I'm going to focus on my career. Like a lot of me will focus on that. But then I also have to remember I have to protect my kids because Valentina is going to remember for the rest of her life that mom chose work over yes. being there on my birthday. And that yeah. fucks you up. And I had to like really check myself the other day because Aaron and I are speaking at a conference on her birthday in Toronto. And I was like, oh my God. And Tommy is also out of town. I've never missed her birthday. Right. She's turning nine. I was right. like, it's a, a really good opportunity for us. It's a Bumble sponsoring it. It's, it's something we really need to show up for, for our business and our partnership with Bumble. 
And I was like, oh my God, like, what do I, how do I do this? So I have literally worked out. We also have to be in New York for a, a couple of days before for the Glamour Summit. I'm like, hold on. How do I service everything? How do I be there for my work, be there for my kids? So I've, I'm literally putting everyone on an airplane and we are flying to New York and we're going to base out of New York as a family for those eight days. Right. Which and is I will wake up with her on her do. birthday, which is, by the way, not many people have that luxury. Let's be honest. Let's so I'm be not honest. There's a lot of people there's who a lot have of, to work who, on their kid's birthday every year. Well, when Sarah says putting them on a plane, it's a commercial plane. Right. It's not like a right. jet. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. A jet. Just, Just making sure that it's clear. did it sound like, oh yeah, no. I'm putting them on a private Delta, <laughs> Delta oh, premium economy. Yeah. It's a commercial flight. Delta yes. premium economy. But yeah, there's a lot of people who, that's not even a question because yeah. they're, you know, that's a luxury. But yeah, like some people have also, to choose between the two. I'm just saying the idea of my daughter waking up and not, and not having, having either of her either parents. parent there to even just mm -hmm. say happy birthday. Yeah. You know, that's that's dark. Right. And I honestly, my first instinct was like, she'll be fine. And then I was like, oh my God, am right. I a monster? Am I so hungry? Am I so like well, desperate let me ask in you, my- Is Tommy beating himself up in the same way for not being able to be there on her birthday? Nope. Because that's He's like that- He's, but he, that's, that was just the dynamic that was set up. Tommy left when she was six weeks old because he had to, he was a professional tennis player. He had like Wimbledon, you know, and I just always, but got, that's the dynamic it. for most moms and dads. Too, and I did that the say mom that is him. like, has this like tremendous amount of guilt when something yes. that you're doing for yourself or for your family. I mean, cause I said that no to him, I go what, like, whatever you generate now, this yeah. provides for your family totally. as well. I'm not doing so, it so I can like no, go to Hawaii. It like not, goes yeah for all the free La Mer, yeah. you know? It's, oh, but I did say that to him. I was like, it's so interesting. I was like, when you, because he's doing an EXO in Houston, Texas, that it's like a paid thing, you know? And I was like, when you got this offer and you said yes, like, did you didn't even tell me. Like, it's her birthday. Like, did you contemplate not doing it? But I think he's just so- Programmed. Programmed that when work calls, he shows up. But men don't feel guilt Men don't feel way. guilt. Because women right now, like there was a time where it was like, women, we can do, we can do anything. But now women, we're expected to do everything. Oh, yeah. Simultaneously. Yeah. And like- And look have, hot while you're doing it. Yeah. And like, listen, like at the end of the day, I think most of us are just operating under the pretense of trying to do the best for everybody- forget about what we look like and everything else. I think that the expectation is that women are working outside of the home. They're doing the majority of the work contributing the financially home. too, or if not like carrying the whole family. Yeah. Like there's like, I think 40% of women are the breadwinners for their families. Wow. Now. Is that the statistic? 40. Right. Wow, and that's now, high. and yeah. now, you know, we're also in a time where it's like, but again, it's like that, like she fault parenting, you're kind of like holding up yourself to the standard that maybe your husband isn't holding himself up to because there's a social lack of social expectation. Well, you know? he also is the finance, like he financially has more than me and he pays for, I mean, most things. So mm -hmm. there maybe also is that, that thing where it's like, well, well I, he feel like I provide, that covers his bases. I provide, which listen, by, by the, the way, Tommy, Tommy's a great dad. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. We're not yeah, like painting God, him no. as an absent parent. Obviously. No, not at all. But, but I, he's a but great I think, dad. but I think that there is a narrative with men where it's like, well, I pay. Right. Cause you know, the most part, I think like in our friend group and the men pay, I put a roof over your head. I put a roof over your head. Get I go to work all day. Water. Like, mm -hmm. I know that you feel like you, um, met Simon at a later point in your life and you are more formed. And that does, mm -hmm. that does mean that you guys have like a little bit more baggage or more expectation because you mm -hmm. have a better idea of who you are. Yeah. But at the same time, you're so much more accomplished. You know what I mean? The like, truth is it's a huge asset. Yeah. For me, at least I would have been really unhappy in a relationship in my twenties because I was just really not happy with myself. And I know that I would have been too insecure to not be so sensitive. You know, like I'm not as sensitive with Simon because 
like you're saying, I'm proud of myself today. Do you feel like you are getting that life that you, you know, when you thought of like what having it all looked like mm-hmm. to you growing up, is this what you feel like you're living out or you're creating for yourself? I do think it looks like that. It just doesn't always feel that way. And I don't mean to sound like I'm not like in love and happy in my life, but I find a way to focus on the one thing that isn't there or the one thing that I don't have or like the success I should be having at the same time. Or I, I, I have a hard time appreciating how happy I actually Actually really am in the moment. Yeah. I think Aaron, that like, that brings us to just remembering, you know, there's like that meme out there that says like, remember when you wish for what you had now. And like, mm-hmm. if we could all just take a moment to like, to recognize how fortunate, how blessed, you know, how much we already have and like strive for getting the most and doing the most and being the most, but just recognizing that like where we are right now is really where we wish we would be at one point. It's true. It's true. And I also like one thing that I started doing, which I don't even know if I've ever told you I've done this, but it's a form of like visual visualization. And I write letters to myself and I write letters as if the thing that I want to happen has happened. And I write about it like, like I'm already in it. Like I remember like before the the day before shooting Barely Famous, I wrote a whole letter about about how well-received it was and how grateful I am to be in this. Like, swear to God, I still have the letter. I wrote a letter to yourself. The day before shooting. Yeah. And talking about it like it's like the thing that I want the outcome to be is real. Right. And I've done that with a bunch of different things and moments. And it weirdly works. Fucking works. I don't know what to tell you. What would your having it all look like today? Having it all looks for me like my children thriving. And by thriving, I mean like, you know, being nice people, not getting calls from the school saying your kid's a dick, your kid pushed this kid, your kid was mean to my kid, your kid's a bully, but like thriving, being, you know, solid, kind, loving, good people, Um, waking up every day and having purpose, meaning for, you know, career-wise, meaning having tasks to do, things to show up for, deadlines to be present for, creative challenges that, that, that motivate you, that motivate me, that scare me, mm-hmm. um, that challenge you yeah. taking risks. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking risks is it excites me. It used to scare me. And I just, I go, I wish I could operate from this mindset in my twenties, but ugh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would have done with it in my twenties. Yeah. So yeah, youth I, is wasted on the young. hundred percent. Youth is wasted on the young. But I think it's like, you're just beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I think we like put that. too much pressure on having it all figured out really early. And like the more people I talk to, the more I realize like no one has it all figured out. And so that admonishment that you were saying of just owning it and just being like, I'm just here on the journey and like figuring it out as I go is really empowering because everybody feels the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Thank you guys both so much for being here and for always keeping it real. For anybody who does not follow them already, For a good time, follow along at Erin Foster and at Sarah Foster. Thank you. We love you. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review only the good stuff, of course. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and spread the word to all of your friends. Thanks for joining and please follow along at Having It All Podcast. See you next week.